has issued a call-out for new ambassadors who suffer from the disease or those with direct links to it via a spouse, child or relative. It is looking for people who can help the charity raise its game, along with getting the message out to the public. Unbeknown to many, celiac disease is not just a food allergy or an intolerance to gluten, but actually an autoimmune disease. Bakery and Snacks chats with Luanne Greenwood, Celiac UK Director of Marketing and Communications, along with the 2016 MasterChef Champion, Jane Devonshire, who was recently appointed Ambassador and has a son who was diagnosed with celiac disease, about how important it is for the so-called trend to remain a mainstay, let alone how producers can capitalise on the extensive and loyal customer base. Also, about why the charity is shining the spotlight on children and the fortification of gluten-free flour. How has winning MasterChef changed your life? I know that's a question you probably get asked by millions of people. I do, but it's it's a wonderful question to be asked, to be honest, because you can you can legitimately say for me it's completely changed my life because I I I had a love you know, I was a stay at home mum. I was looking to go back to work. I was fifty the year that I won and I went from, you know, that to the next morning being on a plane, um, being interviewed by BBC breakfast that goes out in you know just the whole of the country being on internet being on radio all over the country uh front page of the telegraph and numerous other page three of the sun which my husband's never quite let me forget <laughs> you know and it, it just absolutely i was on loose women I, I and your world goes from being you always think people like me don't do that sort of thing you know i genuinely didn't think that was going to happen for me and it's given me an opening to a whole new career in something that I absolutely love. You know, I adore, I adore the food world. I adore cooking. Um, and it, it's opened the door to enable me to have a, a career at 50 going onwards to, in something I love. And I don't think many people get that opportunity. And if you do, you should take it with both hands and run with it, really. Why have you agreed to become a charity ambassador for Celiac UK? Well, I think first it's it's something that is very close to my heart because obviously my son was diagnosed when he was two years old and I saw firsthand the pain and the struggle that we had and, and he was in an awful lot of pain and getting him diagnosed wasn't easy and I'm aware that being diagnosed at two is young um, but the difference in our family life and it wasn't just Ben though obviously he is primary in this and to, to, to relieve his pain was the first thing but changed our whole family because living with someone who's screaming, irritable, constantly in pain, can't communicate that pain to you, is a dreadful situation to be in for your whole family. I've got three elder children um, and it was very distressing for all of us. Um, so to get him diagnosed and seeing how quickly ad adopting a gluten-free diet changed him um, and he went from being very aggressive to, to being this child now who is the most laid back of my children. He's 17. I wish, in fact, we could get a little more oomph in him because, you know, mm -hmm. he's that typical sort of 17-year-old teenager. But it, it was that dramatic a difference, a change in diet made to him. And, you know, if you can, if you can do that for someone, then it's got to be important. 
I think primarily it has to be about the person because you're living with and celiac disease that is, is, presents itself in many different ways, which is part of the problem. But also it has a huge knock-on effect to institutions like the NHS because if you can diagnose someone early, they won't develop long-term health problems um, related to celiac disease and can actually, you know, that, that has a really positive effect on society. So um, primarily it's about the person who's suffering and struggling, but there are huge benefits um, rolling forward to get early diagnosis. And I'm, I'm really passionate about it. And I think having someone and, and been around it firsthand and live with this now for what is close to 15 years, well, going on to 16 years, actually, I, I, I think when I speak, people understand there's an integrity in why I'm talking about it. What does your ambassadorship entail? Well, I think a lot of the stuff I've been doing, it, it, it's almost like um, a natural progression. Um, of what I've been doing. I wanted to become involved in the charity and I realised very quickly after winning that there were some things that I... I'm a huge believer in giving back and I don't mean that tritely or in any way, but I think that, you know, something amazing has happened to me and you should give something back. Um, Celiac is obviously something very close to my heart. I'm very aware of the problems. I live with a child who's got the autoimmune condition and I approach them and we started chatting and uh it was a, a very <laughs> it wasn't an actual meeting it was we were both uh, myself and the pr lady at CIQK uk were both at the bbc good food show and we met up and we started chatting about all the different things and i attended a couple of events and then out of it i said i really wanted to do an everyday cookbook and i was passionate that there needed to be a cookbook that people could just go to their local supermarkets and buy the ingredients um and that came about and we've done a lot of events together all around the country, from the smallest of little shows in um, schools to the Liverpool or the London food allergy show. And it, it's become something that has evolved. And the closer I've got, the more important I've realised the work they do. And I think that this is the culmination of that evolution over the last three years. And I was incredibly proud to be asked. I didn't hesitate. I, I just suggested them what you want me to do. So I'm hoping that 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 closeness, the working relationship, can just evolve, to be honest. And the more that I can do to help, the more I will. Luanne, despite widespread media coverage, many people still do not realise that celiac disease is not a food allergy or an intolerance, but actually an autoimmune disease. How serious can it be? Oh, it can lead to some very serious complications, Jill. It, you know, if it isn't treated, as Jane mentioned, you can get some long-term complications like osteoporosis, the thinning of the bones, unexplained infertility, neurological conditions like ataxia, and it can even lead to cases of lymphoma. So as you can see, these are all conditions that can seriously affect your day-to-day life and this is why it is just so important to get that early diagnosis and and to repeat what Jane said earlier one of the reasons probably it doesn't get that profile um, is because the symptoms can present in many different ways Uh, you know stomach problems diarrhea constipation bloating uh, chronic fatigue meaning that, that extreme tiredness uh, struggling to get out of bed or in the morning, mouth ulcers. So there's also a real problem with misdiagnosis and IBS. Roughly about one in four people that have been diagnosed as having IBS actually 
have celiac disease. And that was the thrust of our campaign last year, trying to get people who had been diagnosed with IBS to, to ask for a test for celiac disease if their symptoms weren't improving. One in 100 people in the UK are estimated to have the disease. How many of these are children? We don't actually know how many are children because there isn't yet a national register mm-hmm. for celiac disease. But we are in the process of carrying out some epidemiology studies where we should be able to break that down into areas and into populations. And that should hopefully be coming out next year. Could you tell me more about the Celiac UK's 2020 children's campaign? Yes, of course. So next year we are focusing uh, on children. Um, as as Joe mentioned earlier, it's so important to get children diagnosed early. And I don't know if um, you're aware of this, but it is, on average, it takes 13 years to get diagnosed. So that's 13 years of suffering symptoms unnecessarily um, before you actually are able to move on to a gluten-free diet and eradicate gluten from your meals. So it makes perfect sense for the charity to really target parents and carers and all of those involved in taking care of children, so grandparents, aunties, godparents, school school nurses, etc., so that they are more aware of celiac disease and really get to recognize some of those symptoms. It's the fact that these symptoms continue and become excessive that we're trying to, we're trying to really, really get them to focus on that. Because obviously so many children can have viruses, they start school, but this is all about really, really honing in on the things that are unexplained. And often in families, you just sort of get used to it. You think, oh, you know, Alice, she's always, you know, she's always spends ages on the toilet. And it almost comes, you know, turns into a bit of a sort of family joke. So it's very important that, um, you know, people do do look at what they feel is excessive behaviour. As Jo mentioned with her young son, um, often in children it manifests itself in behavioural difficulties first, irritability, temper tantrums, because they're feeling so ill and they don't know how to communicate that. So the real focus on awareness Um, week, which is um, from the 11th to the 19th of May next year, is diagnosis. Push people towards our online diagnosis assessment and encourage parents and carers to take their children to their GPs for a blood test. With gluten sensitivity and celiac disease getting so much more media attention these days, why has it taken so long to get a children's register together? Well, it, all these things cost a lot of money, um, you know, and a lot of resource. So the registers, the national registers, are generally done through the NHS. Um, you know, as a charity, we obviously we we have a sort of register insofar as we have our members, and the charity's been going now for 50 years. So out of our 65,000 members, we you know we do have health information, and and we can understand. Um, how many, you know, how many people are likely to be affected, and then back that up with with epidemiologic you know, research, which takes a long time. Um, it's also it's quite, you know, research into celiac disease is still in its early stages. It's still only really about 15 years old. 
So, you know, really raising the money and getting the funds to support the type of research um, that will come out with those numbers is, 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 a major, is a major problem, you know, for charities, uh, for health charities across the UK and not just us, which is why we, we, we do focus on Awareness Week and trying to raise as much money as we can and getting people, you know, going to their GPs and demanding these tests so that we do get a much firmer idea of how many children um, do have celiac disease. It is genetic as a condition as well. It does run in families. So there are studies as well that show that if someone in the family has the condition, there is a 1 in 10 chance of a close relative developing the disease too. Jane, you mentioned your son has been diagnosed with celiac disease. How has this patterned your career after winning MasterChef 2016? To be honest, when I first won, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do with it. It was, it was a complete surprise to everybody. So um, I took the first year and just took everything. But to be honest, as I've evolved, my career has evolved, it's become more and more apparent that it's become my niche and it's become one more I'm passionate about. It's um, incredible when I go along to the shows and I get people come along sometimes in tears and they're so confused and so overwhelmed by the whole thing. Either their mums or their young children have been diagnosed or have been diagnosed themselves. Um, some people are 70, 80 when they've been diagnosed. Um, and it can be completely overwhelming. So to be able to help people and do something good, uh, it, it's really a privilege, to be honest. So, yes, it is shaping my career. I, I have um, become more and more focused on that part, and I think that is definitely now where I consider it going. Um, and it's opened that door for me to be able to do that um, in the most lovely way. It's helping people and doing do something that I love, um, which is cooking, and being able to help people with their own struggles with uh, adopting a gluten-free diet. How have you noticed the sector evolving since you've become more aware of it? I think since Ben was diagnosed, it's evolved immensely, and there are a number of reasons for it. A lot more people are aware of being gluten-free. Um, I think there is a tendency sometimes to trivialise being celiac because a lot of people, oh, that's just something that can be treated with a gluten-free diet. Well, yes, it can, but if you're undiagnosed, then it has severe, as we've talked about now and as discussed very articulately, um, it can have really serious health consequences. The fact that it's not an allergy, that it's an autoimmune condition isn't really understood either. Um, but the whole gluten-free market has, of course, exploded, which is fantastic. It means more people are aware of it. But it's also, I think, a lot of the stuff on the shelves I, I've seen supermarket shelves go for three items to now a whole aisle. It's very expensive. It, a lot of it is highly processed and full of, you know, additives mm. and stuff. So there are issues as well with that. But it's fantastic. I always take the positive view. The more people that understand gluten-free, more people that start talking about it, it opens the door to then having the discussions that we are about celiac and why it's so important that you understand it and why it's so important you get early diagnosis and why it's so important that you really stick to that gluten-free diet if you are diagnosed. So um, I've seen tremendous changes in 15 years, a lot more positive, and we can eat out now reasonably well, whereas before that was a no-no. Um, the days of taking hummus and carrots everywhere with us are a bit long past, but it, it's, it's still an uphill struggle. There is a long, long way to go, I think. What is the first thing you look out for? I think there are certain labels that you learn to trust, um, there are major labels that you know. If you're going off the track of the gluten-free aisle, 
then you learn to read labels very quickly. I use the Celiac Food app all the time, which is brilliant. It's an app you download on your phone, you scan barcodes, it tells you if something's safe or not. Um, and Ben uses that too. But it, it really is. There's so many, you know, anything with a thickening agent can contain wheat. So mm-hmm. we, got, we were caught out with yogurt earlier on. Um, there are lots of traps that you can fall into, and you, you have to become an expert label reader, without a doubt. When you first start shopping as somebody for gluten-free food, you read labels. Um, but I also stick very much to the areas where you don't need labels, so fresh fruit, vegetables, meat, fish, you know, all of those things are naturally gluten-free, and we should be eating more of that anyway, so that, that's a good thing. Luanne, do you think the food industry should be doing more to cater for celiac sufferers? Well, it, that would be delightful if the food industry um, would would do more and, and really create more choice for people with celiac disease. We do actually work very closely as a charity with the food sector because, as Jane was mentioning, what do you look for when you pick up that product? Well, the ultimate safety symbol is the cross grain trademark on packaging. Oh, I'm sorry. And, 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 and we do. That we <laughs> we launched, given, you know. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we launched as a charity, um, you know, that's been going since the 80s. And that reassures, you know, people with celiac disease and gluten-free customers. And it really is a worldwide go-to gluten-free certification mark. And you might ask, well, how does that differ from a product marked that's simply gluten-free, um, you know, in the wording? Well, it, it, it does actually go through a whole raft of extra production precautions it's certified it's independently certified so it and the fee as well that comes from that certification scheme the cross-grain certification scheme all goes straight back into the charity and it helps our community so if you're a food producer food manufacturer and you're looking to launch gluten-free products I mean, we have great relationships with the Warburton's, Shaw, Genius of This World, Nestle, Nature's Pathy, Real, Three Nens, to name but a few. So these are all people working with us, and, and it's a real loyal consumer base. I mean, think about diagnosis. If you are diagnosed age of two, you know, your parents will be buying gluten-free food and celiac disease is for life. So your connection with those brands and your loyalty will continue all through your life. And it's not just about the person with celiac disease. Often a lot of families like Jane's will be entirely gluten-free. So it's, it's the whole family and the friends behind there. You know, you're looking at a consumer base that, um, you know, that is very grateful to the food manufacturers that really, food and drink manufacturers, that really make that effort because they know that not only are you providing gluten-free food, you're supporting the charity and you're helping other people get I think as well, the issue is that you can look at something and it looks gluten-free on the label, but um, with celiacs, one of the biggest issues, and certainly in my house, which is why my kitchen is gluten-free, is cross-contamination. And so if you see that crossed grain logo, you know that it's been made in a factory because sometimes you'll get something that looks gluten-free and it says maybe made in a factory that contains wheat ingredients. And celiacs can't, the cross-contamination thing is a huge thing. So from my side of things, as a chef now, um, one of the biggest things is with restaurants. 
um, and working with restaurants because I think that um, that's an area so many people are becoming more and more aware and they have gluten-free items on their menu and either because of the size of the kitchen or lack of understanding, there will still be a cross-contamination issue. And I understand, having worked in kitchens, that a lot of kitchens are too small. Uh, you know, in, in small kitchens in London, restaurants or whatever, they might not be able to supply you with a gluten-free option, but I'd far rather be told that this is not suitable for celiacs to eat here mm. than to go and eat. And that one of the biggest things is the, the fear of eating out amongst the celiac community. So I think there amongst the restaurant community and people who supply food to people is a huge issue. Um, and that's something that is being addressed and they are getting better. But to label something gluten-free doesn't necessarily make it celiac friendly. And there is a difference in that that... Um, you know, we need to understand because cross-contamination, that's why my kitchen is completely gluten-free, is a huge issue for sufferers. I've just run a study on bakery and snacks that debunked the myth that those who are adopting a gluten-free approach, even though they do not suffer just because they perceive it to be healthy. Do you see this affecting the gluten-free directory, especially as much of the growth and the innovation in the gluten-free sector is due to this increasing number of lifestylers? Uh, I think for me, it's a double-edged sword. Um, I think that it's fantastic. More people are talking about it. More people are interested in it. More people are becoming aware of it. And I also strongly believe that everybody has a right to choose within a healthy diet remit. And that's the issue. You should, I, I always say I'm not a dietitian. I certainly wouldn't recommend anybody going on a gluten-free diet without recommendation from a doctor and having gone through the health checks. Because, for instance, flour in this country is fortified. Gluten-free flour isn't. If you put somebody on a gluten-free diet, you are missing out on all that, you know, basic bone the structures, the, the folic acid and everything that's put into our flour. And there are many other things. I'm not, a, I'm not a medic. I don't understand, but there are many other reasons why. However, what it has done is got people speaking about being gluten-free. And what it has done is pushed, because um, these things are often driven by money, a demand for gluten-free products in restaurants and supermarkets, which has had a fabulous effect within the people who are diagnosed celiac because it's given us access to so much more um, you know, places to eat out and so much more produce. And you go into the bakery aisle now and there's a lovely range of produce to pick from, whereas we used to go and struggle to find one. So in that respect, it is a double-edged sword. I understand that it, some people who are celiac find, feel that it belittles their condition because people roll their eyes, and I've had it. When I've said Ben's gluten-free, people roll their eyes and think, oh, it's another, you know, mum deciding to put their child on some silly diet. Um, but ultimately, if it opens the door to discussion and makes people talk about it in a way, and then you can say, well, actually, he's not gluten-free because of anything else. He's got an autoimmune disease, which is called celiac disease that affects the gut. People then start to understand so it's definitely a dual-edged thing, but ultimately I think it's had a positive effect. And going forward, we can now talk about it and get people to understand that going gluten-free haphazardly is not good for you, but for hundreds of the population, it's an absolute must. They have to adopt this lifestyle. They have no choice. It is medical necessity. Um, it opens the doors to that conversation. I think I obviously um, agree with, with, with everything Jane says. I mean, from a manufacturing point of view, 
And what you have to remember is it'd be really good for the food producers and manufacturers to think about that customer loyalty. What certainly, it's absolutely true, the sector was initially really driven by the lifestylers. Um, but if I'm in the food industry, what do I want? Do I want a customer that eats my products, you know, on a cyclical level or on a fad level, or do I want a loyal customer of 60 years, because that's what we were talking about earlier. Someone with celiac disease will go back and back and back and back to your products, and their families will. As I said, you know, there's, there's, there are half a million people out there that still haven't been diagnosed with celiac disease. That's, 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 that's the market out there, on top of the lifestyles, on top of people that already have celiac disease. So there is a huge market still out there, and it's very important that, that they consider, you know, customer loyalty and the actual sustainability of their products moving forward, the economic sustainability. I think from a product sort of development perspective, a lot of the gluten-free products um, are really... They've been, they've been made with adults in mind. The sort of snacks that come out are things like, you know, ginger, garlic, chili. They don't cater for children. There is a huge gap in the market for mm. children's mm. products, for children's meals. And I know Jane was just talking about how it is getting easier to eat out. And I hope the charity, you know, have a lot to do with that because we work obviously with independent fish and chip shops right up to the big restaurant groups and and we train them and we accredit them with a gluten-free scheme so we do work with hundreds and hundreds um of outlets um and you know we've got an app to guide people to the venues where you can eat, eat gluten-free safely because the kitchen staff and the serving staff are aware of it um but there's still yeah of course there's still a lot to do and i know my friends with children with celiac disease say my 10 year old i mean despite her being a wonderful eater she doesn't want a salad for her meal you know, she doesn't want something that's just naturally gluten-free. She'd love a pizza. She, you know, she'd love some mac and cheese. Um, and, and they just, you know, they just don't get that variety. You get served, you know, fruit as a pudding. Or you'll get some, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll get a partial meal because, um, you know, you won't be able to get the variety that other people get. And I think there is... There is, there is a responsibility towards, you know, people with autoimmune conditions um, to help them and to welcome them through your doors because they are such a loyal community and they will come back with their friends and family time and time again. Nobody wants to be glutened. You know, if you're glutened through a meal that's been contaminated, then that can make you ill for several days. You know, it can really affect your work. It can affect your university life. It can take you off school. So there is, there is, there definitely is market out there for more gluten-free dishes and uh, more more gluten-free food. Yeah, I think the tendency is as well to go as I agree with you. But these children's flavours, because I, I don't know, for me, a lot of children do eat lots of food but I think the trouble is if somebody's diagnosed with celiac disease they and they're undiagnosed they become scared of food quite often so therefore you do want to start them off with something that's easy and gentle it is genuinely that it can be quite complicated you can't go and buy a chocolate cake it's always going to have other things in it or something so it is an issue but it has become so much easier um biscuits and things like that that you can pick up off the shelf are um you know and big companies like hobnobs now that you can get that are gluten free or you know so many other people are are joining in i i i understand i think it's it's made my life so much easier particularly now ben has hit a teenage years and he's going out and purchasing his own food at lunchtime and things 
um, it's still not easy trying to track down a decent gluten-free sandwich. It's, um, if you're anywhere apart from a major city, it mm-hmm. is almost unheard of, really. Um, and therefore, you are relying on primarily sweet food, muffins and stuff, which is a shame because you all want to pick up a nice savoury thing as well, a decent pie or a decent sandwich. And that's really hard to track down. I think and you're talking about bakery goods, that to me would be a big sector that people need to look at. Um, trying to find even the, the, the rush for the Marks and Spencer's gluten-free sandwiches is just incredible. And they're gone, they're gone. <laughs> Picking up on something that you mentioned earlier, why is gluten-free flour not fortified? I don't know. Um, it's one of the things I talk about as somebody who's uh, specialised in gluten-free. I, I must have 30 different types of flour. I was going through my yesterday. Everything from coconut flour, rice flour, sour gums, you name it. Um, but the plain flours that you can buy, none of them are fortified, as far as I'm aware. Luan might know differently. Um, and I don't know why, but I do know that the difference in quality of different gluten-free flours um, across the board can be extreme. And you can feel like you're holding a completely different product in your hand from one brand name to another because there's no set standard, which can really impact on people baking at home because they think they can't do it or they think there's a problem. And actually, it might be that they're using the wrong sort of flour. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that as someone who's saying, you know, it's expensive sometimes to do these things. And it, it is an issue. Um, it's a lot of the trouble I get. People come up talking to me about it. They haven't been able to do something. You talk to them and find out that they're using the wrong flour. And actually... If I, I don't understand. Um, I, please, I am completely and utterly not in any way medically changed. But I have no idea why blueberry flowers aren't fortified in the same way that um, other flowers are, because I would have thought of all the communities we probably needed it. But, Luanne, that's probably more scientifically. Or, yes, or... we have. Obviously, we have a whole team of dietitians. And um, I do know there are consultations um, going on regarding the fortification of flour with um, folic acid at the moment, mm. and we are involved in every single consultation that um, covers gluten-free food. So hopefully we should be seeing something coming out of that um, in, in the future. I'm yes, sure it's because yes. it's such a new industry that it hasn't really been thought of. It's sort of evolved. I mean, the amount of flowers on offer, really, you, it was difficult to buy gluten-free flour 10 years ago. Um, and that's certainly changed. So, you know, it's evolving. And there's research going on into food, you know, food technology, food crops, alternative crops, you know, which crops, you know, typically the same types of crops have been used. So there is, there is work going on, um, you know, across the UK with respect to improving um, the, you know, nutritional content of, of gluten-free food. And it's something, you know, we, we obviously as a charity, we get very involved with. Luanne, could you please tell me a little bit more about Celiac UK and specifically your call out for new ambassadors? Yes, of course. So Celiac UK is a charity um, that was over 50 years old. Um, we don't have any government funding, so we do rely on donations you know, from the public and from our dear members who, who support us. Uh, regularly we are always looking for ambassadors charity ambassadors who can help us raise the profile of the charity and really you know get the word out there we've touched on this subject of media awareness you know a couple of times 
um, since the start of our conversation. And one of the realities is that because celiac disease, the only treatment so far is a gluten-free diet, you don't get the big farmer involved. So you don't get these big advertising campaigns that other charities benefit from. So it's really important as a smaller charity with a cause that isn't quite as well known to bring people in that either have a really great profile, you know, like Jane, or have a really strong link to celiac disease and are willing to go public about it. You know, very few celebrities will go public with the fact that they've got celiac disease. So we do, you know, we, we, we need ambassadors. They, are, they, they really help us accelerate the rate of our work. And so if there's anyone out there listening, we'd be delighted to hear from you and, um, and talk about, you know, how you can help the work of the charity. Uh, as we said, it's a children's focus next year but we raise awareness you know with respect to all our i mean anyone can anyone can have celiac disease at any time you know they get get diagnosed as a baby they can get diagnosed as an 80 year old so we do have an extremely diverse um community to to you know to help and to serve but also sponsors can get involved you know in awareness week that's you know that's a really good way of showing your support for the community so i would encourage yeah Anyone, anyone involved in the bakery and in the uh, snack sector to, to give us a ring and um, and talk through um, talk through how we can how we can work together and collaborate. Every year we hold two major food festivals, one in England and one in Wales, so that we can try and cover as you know many communities as possible. Um, and the next event is what's known as an industry day, and this is a specialist event uh, set up for manufacturers and for caterers, where we'll be providing the latest news in the sector regarding allergen legislation. There'll be Uh a great networking event um, to meet lots of different representatives and experts um, from the food industry. And that's on the 3rd of December. Uh And that's at the Motor Museum, um, just outside of Birmingham. And will be a day-long event. So we do encourage people who are listening in to sign up to that. Um, there are very few places left. Uh, so please um, come along and meet the team, meet the, meet the experts, the accreditation and the certification experts. Um, we'll also be talking about policy and updating with, with respect to gluten-free legislation.